Hey everybody, it is Mike and Murph here, and we are on what movie number four, I think, of our very canon Christmas. Uh, sure, number four. <laughs> number four. Number <laughs> four. That feels about right. Uh, we are talking about the 1986 classic uh, by Canon, uh, a 52 pickup today, which is a wonderful movie uh, by John Frankenheimer starring Roy Scheider, uh, both of which probably in the twilight of their career in some ways, uh, and also a title that was ambiguous enough that I was completely confused about what this was <laughs> going to be about. <laughs> so... it, it really could be about anything. <laughs> I truly thought it was going to be about a pickup truck. I, I I think I told you my theory, having never seen this before we watched it, my theory was going to be, um, this is this is going to be like a Clint Eastwood mid '80s pink Cadillac situation, and somehow Roy Scheider is like a hitman or a or like a, a um bagman for somebody well, driving a '52 pickup. So I was very confused for you. You're not alone because it confused the marketing department at Canon as well. They made a teaser trailer for, or a teaser poster for it. And so 52 pickup is a reference to the joke, like card game where it's like, you That's want to play 52 yeah. pickup and you throw all the cards on the ground and like pick them up. Um, but it's a shitty joke. <laughs> Canon. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a dick move. Um, but uh, Canon had a teaser poster for this. I think it came out in like variety. And whoever made it didn't know that that was the reference to it. And so the poster was pickup sticks. They had a shitload Holy of like little pickup shit. sticks. I was like, and that was what they thought the reference was to. So that you were the only one. Now, feel, as a source material, um, much better than a canon movie. <laughs> oh yeah, no, this is this was light years ahead of uh of. It, it's weird we, we've done an interesting um run of it's been sort of good and bad i think with the way we've the cycle we've had so far it's been kind of a nice ebb and flow um well i, I would say bad that implies that Bloodsport was bad but you know we had blood sport which is more <laughs> more of a traditional canon movie then we did life force which was one they were trying to break out and to do blockbusters and that was a little bit different we found some stuff we liked even though it's kind of a kooky movie and then we go over back over to um oh god what did we just cover uh um american oh, sorry american ninja <laughs> oh my god the the legendary joe armstrong and then we're swinging back <laughs> we're swinging back over to this so i feel Such like a ridiculous name private joe armstrong uh the, I, I was thinking Lisa, about you're her green day <laughs> yeah uh and uh also uh, a representative for the National Amnesia Society. <laughs> so, I, I I just it's one of those I was thinking about today, and I'm just like, man, I was like, they just they shoved a lot of shit inside of one a single movie, and I am glad they did. We are we are better for it. <laughs> so, but yeah, so we're talking about Fifty Two Pickup, which uh, <laughs> we we've both agreed, and even Canon apparently to some extent agrees is a confusing title that is not about a pickup truck. Uh, it is about a uh, middle-aged businessman well, who cheats on his wife and is blackmailed. I um, I, I think if you know, I, I think if you're picking up the Elmore Leonard story and know, like, it's a detective story. And it, it's like, it, it works as like the more of that hard-boiled detective story title. Like you get that as a canon movie, if you're just looking at their catalog, it's like, man, that could be fucking anything. <laughs> like... It's canon. Like, who knows? I. That's true. That that is true. Uh, I, and I, but, I think 
I, I do feel like the title it's an El, so it's an Elmore Leonard story as you as you mentioned. The original book I think was written and published somewhere around 1974. It uh, was. Uh, yeah. Do you want to hear some backstory? I would love to hear some backstory. All right. Um, I, I'm. Could you move your head to the left, like three inches? I want. I want to tell it to John Glover. <laughs> so and Andrew Zoom background is John Glover from this movie. So. And yours is still John Claude Van Damme. So. It is. It is. That's okay. And they're both. They're both delightful. Um, so no. <laughs> so yeah, this was like yeah, seventy four sons of our right for this and um, Canon prior to Golden and Globus owning them bought the rights to this is my understanding. Yep. And so when Golden and Globus bought Canon and then they were a, uh, I don't know how to phrase it, but they were kind of invested and in basically were, were they were struggling. We're going to keep putting money in until we own it basically. Yeah. I think, I, yeah, um, I think around 79, 80 is when they, they finally sort of, cut the tether with the prior owners and yeah. more or less owned it own canon films. And then it was right. them full on. But so they owned this. And so in 74, Elmore Leonard wasn't um it wasn't like a hot property to go yeah. get necessarily. It was a legitimate property you get, but not a hot property. So it bounced around with different directors, stars of potentially doing it and never nothing came of it. Um but then in the early 80s, Elmore Leonard um, who'd been around for a long time writing really popped when like uh, the mainstream culture caught on to him and I guess the big thing was and um and something Stephen King wrote a huge like appreciation piece about his writing and he had a couple of books new books that went immediate like bestseller and then some people started digging into the back catalog so suddenly like his material was red hot so <laughs> Canon own the rights to to this story so they made a movie not the one we're talking about today they made a movie <laughs> from that story but it was not they like the script had nothing to do with it they just basically because they own the rights said based on an elmore letter novel because they could but it was not like at all and then so john frankenheimer got caught up in this elmore leonard hype and one went to go buy the rights to the story and discovered, oh, these fucking guys at Canon own the rights to it. <laughs> and they'd so already made a movie. Them. They made a movie yeah. already, I think, at that point called, I think, The Ambassador. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They already had. And so, and it was like literally like a year apart. And like, like so yeah. probably the time Frank and I was contacting them, they're like releasing this movie or like something. But because of who they are, that doesn't bother them one bit. But because this Frankenheimer, like, and this is also we're talking about with Life Force. They're getting maybe not desperate yet, but they really want to establish themselves and step the credibility up and work with more bigger names. They're they're and, trying to, they're trying to they're trying to set themselves up as a a more traditional studio at this point, and they're trying to build a reputation instead of just well being put, cheap, cheap. Well low, they try, yeah, they want to become a a studio. They want to yeah. be. You know, MGM, Warner Brothers. That's that's what their goal is. Uh, so it's like John Frankenheimer, like, yeah, like we'll do whatever you want if you if you'll direct a Canon movie on a Canon budget, we'll do whatever you want. Um, and so that's how this ends up getting made because it's John Frankenheimer. That's what pulls in 
the quality cast to go yeah, with it. I think Scheider Scheider was roped in through Frankenheimer's, as I understand it. Um, which is it's I feel bad. Everything I read about Frankenheimer. So this is 1986. I think they made it in 85. Um, Frankenheimer sort of in a weird phase of his career. Where I think everybody sort of acknowledges it's like, hey, for a paycheck movie, this is pretty good for Frankenheimer. Yeah, and I, a lot of the reviews I read was like, oh, like for a paycheck movie, it's good. Exactly that line. And it was like, oh, I don't know if this was a paycheck movie necessarily for him. Like, the, the, it looked like it seemed like he wanted to do this story. Now, yeah. he had to do it through canon. So that's I'm sure that's not how he wanted to do it. But um, it wasn't like canon hired him to do it. Like he no, had an interest would... in doing the story. Uh so it was necessary I think, evil for him to uh, take a yeah, movie made. Yeah, and so I, I think you can see that in the quality of his direction. Um, so I, I also have a Frankenheimer story. Oh, please. <laughs> Does this have to do with him making Jing- or not Jingle all the way? Fuck, that's Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Ranger games. My bad. Sorry, I'm getting my shitty Christmas movies confused. <laughs> Uh, it it does not. Uh, <laughs> I'm sad to say, it has nothing to do with Jingle All the Way. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but we can pivot to a Jingle All the Way podcast if you want. I'm ready. I probably could do one cold because I've seen it enough times with, with with my wife and kids that I probably could. I could probably Sinbad. Sinbad. Sinbad threatening to kill people. Um, a mailman <laughs> who tries to murder another adult to get a toy. No, uh, I'm, I'm so proud to say I saw that at the movie theater. <laughs> oh God! Um, well, you know, holiday family movies. You know, you end up going to a Christmas movie at the movie theater. You should apologize it, to your parents. It turns for out you to go. be great. I, I think it's more they took me instead of I was pushing them to go see it than anything. <laughs> Which you can understand as. Um, having kids like you kind of looking for shit to do with your kids <laughs> uh, but no, it's so... about love and development more about <laughs> i gotta kill some time yeah, let's yeah. go let's go learn about turbo man <laughs> yeah <laughs> this will shut you up for an hour and a half <laughs> and it did uh, but no so uh frankenheimer um obviously very accomplished director sadly I think he had some alcohol issues that slowly pushed him out of the studio kind of production system. But obviously, Manchurian Candidate, um, Seven Days of May, um, a, lot, a lot of fantastic movies. Grand Prix. I'll Probably. throw that one out there as a car yeah, person. Yeah. Yes. Um, which, you, in your notes, you brought up a great point of how well he shoots cars. He's that really one. good at it. I'm a yeah. I'm a big John Carpenter or John Carpenter. Oh my god, uh, John Frankenheimer fan for for his uh, car stuff. He also did Ronin pretty late in his career, and that's yeah. I always forget that, and like, I, I, that I, I he's fucking fantastic. Like yeah, I, I always think of Frankenheimer as like 1950s, 1960s uh, sort of stuff. But he did have some later stuff that was really good. He was also I think this is true. I, I know in the first season of BMW Films, uh, he was one of the main directors, along with like Ang Lee and um, I think Joe Carnahan and a few others. And he shot uh, he shot one on 
the BMW seven series at the time. And that was a, a really big deal because I think it was like, that was probably one of the last projects he worked on. And it was actually a very, it was a hugely successful uh, marketing campaign and one that sort of changed the landscape for digital media. Uh, I remember how old we are now. Um, I think Jay, our friend Jay had mentioned that in uh, ad school, he, they'd actually studied those campaigns that Frankenheimer helped with. Wow. Um, just as like a, how effective it was, but uh, yeah. So I, I always think of Frankenheimer as like Grand Prix era or Manchurian Candidate, but I mean, he had a, he had a pretty prolific career, you know, from the fifties all the way up through the, you know, I think what, 2000 before he passed away. So <laughs> that's where my story comes in. When I killed him. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking killed John Frankenheimer. This is my test. Is anyone listening to this podcast? When am I getting arrested? <laughs> I think the statute of limitations is up. So you're okay. I don't think that a statute of limitations are murder. No? Uh-oh. I hope not. Oh, shit. I got a problem. <laughs> wow. We, we are going down a different road tonight. It's getting dark. No, So um, I um, have had a... Well, I was going to say this in a really inappropriate way. <laughs> that really misconstrued things. Um, I had interactions... I don't know if that's any better with his widow. Did you have intercourse with this one? <laughs> no, I know. That's, <laughs> that's why I, every way I wanted to say that sounded like it was a euphemism for like I slept with her, but no. Um, no so when I lived in LA, I was a manager at a Borders bookstore before Borders went bankrupt. Um, so there was another manager there. His name was Patrick. who's an awesome guy. And he uh, would routinely work and everyone would call her the Frankenheimer widow because that's what she would call herself. When she would call in, she would identify herself as John Frankenheimer's widow. <laughs> and what? so like, obviously like she must've really loved him and like, I had a, yeah, was like, that's, that's my, I don't know. I don't know. Claim to fame. That's my, I'm so proud of what he did and to be associated with it or, but that's how she would identify herself. So, and keep going, keep going. So, so, but this guy, Patrick would always be the one who helped her because he had helped her for years and they got along well and they would talk and, uh, and he knew a decent bit about some like old Hollywood stuff. So they could like chit chat and that. Um, and, he went on vacation for like two weeks. And so she called in and I was like the manager there. And so I like talked to her and like, she wanted these books and stuff. He's like, yeah, we got those books. And like, <laughs> uh, and I pulled them out. So aside, she sent like a driver over to pick them up and get and And then the Maybe books like came back love. to be sweet, returned. Sweet love. And I, and I was like, what? I was like, okay. And, so Patrick comes back from vacation and he talks to her and he talks to me and he's like, and then he sees the books I pulled out for her and he laughs his ass off because <laughs> she was insanely particular that her books had to be absolutely flawless and like flaw- I, flawless, I mean like perfect in every way to where she would sometimes want books we didn't have or out of print and like Patrick would special order them for her and they would come in. And if like 
one of the corners was like must a little bit. He'd be like, nope, she's not going to take that. And he would just immediately send it back. And I don't know what was going on with her, but it was a hell of an interesting person to have to deal with. And so once you learned that about her, like then talking to her after that, I was like, no, you're not going to like, yeah, we have it, but you're not going to want it. There's like, like one of like someone else has handled this book ever. So no, you don't want it. That's really weird. Uh, and I'm going to just check because I'm looking at these some of these names. Is is her name Evans Evans? I have no idea because she would, every time I talked to her, she would identify herself as the Frankenheimer widow. Oh, uh, cool. Well, it says they were married up until his death in, in 2002. Yeah. And so she was the, she played, I think, Bonnie's sister in Bonnie and Clyde. That's why I was, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, wow. So I looked it up and I'm, I'm and uh, she was in a couple episodes of, uh uh alfred hitchcock presents and then she uh it just says she also worked with pat hingle oh. <laughs> just, so she worked oh, i've Commissioner i've Gordon. Hingle stories too <laughs> oh, please, oh, oh well here's your filmography i guess she also worked so she did bonnie and clyde she was uncredited for a role in grand prix she's in the iceman 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 cometh prophecy something called dead bang and then are you afraid of the dark which is the nickelodeon the nickelodeon one yes she was the uh she was the uh it just says the quiet librarian (laughs) and then she was also the most demanding customer for the century city mall borders before it closed which is weird that's not on wikipedia but i i I, would believe it yeah I gotta get into I gotta get into IMD yeah I gotta get into IMD Pro and get that credit in there for her. That's perfect. That's perfect. Um, So anyway, so it was always funny to me because obviously being a film person, (laughs) like was like wow, like you were married to John Frankenheimer, like that's that's awesome. Like, but it, it was because like the a lot of people who worked there being in LA and stuff were like film people. She'd either get like a person. Who would be like, I don't know who the fuck Frankenheimer is. What are you talking about? Or, or she'd get somebody that would be like, Oh my god, John Frankenheimer? <laughs> and obviously be like, That's incredible. Like, I want to talk to you for an hour. Like it makes me sad. I don't because I think about it as like yeah. identify as more than just somebody else's dead or some dead person's spouse. Yeah, it, it, it felt like it felt like at times being part of like a sad story of I don't know what's going on here, but yeah. womp, womp. things don't womp. entirely feel right. But then it's also like, well, you have way more money than I will ever have, apparently. So she's living off those uh, reindeer like, games ma- royalties. <laughs> make a different choice of how you're living your life. I don't know. Like, or yeah, like I, I hope mean, you're happy with this. Yeah. Like, I hope you can, I mean, you can afford to be eccentric, apparently. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, that's a pretty good Frankenheimer. It's a better Frankenheimer story than I have. Uh, I think I, <laughs> I just enjoy his movies, and that was the extent of my Frankenheimer association. <laughs> I watched uh, Manchurian Candidate with you in high school during our film class, and I think that we was did. Cool. Yeah, a fantastic movie. Yeah, I think, that, I think that was like the one movie I've ever seen uh, Frank Sinatra in that I was like, oh, he's actually like not bad. Like he should have had a better acting career. <laughs> but then I don't think that was actually. <laughs> An accurate statement. <laughs> yeah, have you seen the original Ocean's Eleven? Uh, I have not. I have not. Um, but it was, like, it was like a big flop, solid. right? I thought the whole movie was like a, the... a flop back in the day. 
um oh i i forget now but um but um interesting um spoiler alert so i guess like fast forward they all die. Seconds, if you don't <laughs> if you don't know they so they like they pull off uh they pull off the robbery but then, then they don't end up getting any of the money like it ends up getting i think burned up with their dead friend at a crematorium cool that sounds uh, dorky. Like a typical <laughs> right no it's a typical like that 70s kind of era of, like dark ending or like like everyone has to like walk away at the end of like oh but like dude, uh, maybe we learned something about ourselves <laughs> turns out we can all sing or, it's, start a band. or also it's like maybe this was all like meaningless and it's like is life meaningless i don't know some sort of existential crap i thought it was like a happy-go-lucky i like soderbergh's take on on the ocean movies personally. it kind of is until the end but yeah i know i love um especially that first oceans 11 is it's really really fantastic the so r.i.p bernie mac r.i.p Ooh, yeah bernie mac show <laughs> mr baseball or is it no is he mr. Was, no he was between mr. like mr. the simpsons and futurama or something or i don't know i don't know. wait what there's a time i watched a decent bit of the bernie mac show because it was sunday nights on fox <laughs> it was like in between like the simpsons and futurama or family guy or something so yeah that no, was a good show it's just it's just funny i liked bernie mac it's just like it's a super obscure like thing for you to watch um all right it's a 52 pickup we, we <laughs> all right we, we've spent 30 minutes talking about uh dead people's wives and bernie mac so um it's a 52 pickup just a quick recap it's uh, Roy Scheider's lead, he plays uh, Harry Mitchell. Uh, long story short, Harry has been cheating on his wife with a much, much younger woman Son who also is... It was Kelly Preston, right? Yes. So it's John... It's Travolta's wife, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, And uh, he is blackmailed right around the time uh, that he, he is about to actually call it quits on the relationship. He is blackmailed by a group of three guys. Uh, and masks, uh, and that leads to three really it, intelligent guys. They're really intelligent, very unique, and very different from each other characters uh, in Ski Mask. Uh, it ends up leading Harry on kind of a path of revenge to to clear his name and protect his family, uh, sort of. And then uh, 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 what ultimately becomes him solving a murder and uh, uh, you know trying to to outsmart these these criminals that are trying to blackmail him. Uh, Harry himself is a he seems to be some sort of industrialist in, in Los Angeles and uh, has yeah, so all he's in the aerospace industry. But yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of what they allude to is it's like he's into some sort of precious metals um, uh, alchemy type thing because they, they focus on his business fusing titanium plates together for yeah, he, aircraft or something. He has like a patent uh, doing something that's important for how nasa or like airplanes or i can't tell if if they didn't explain it enough or we just weren't paying enough attention i think they're intentionally vague i think they're intentionally vague of just like like he figured out a process of doing something with metals and like yeah it's valuable well they kind of open the whole thing with you know giving this impression that he's this richy rich guy he has a very nice house with a pool he's swimming in it in the mornings with this uh a uh, beautiful age appropriate wife and Margaret and <laughs> watching him swim. And then he gets into his uh, fancy Jaguar E type convertible and drives <laughs> to his gigantic uh, factory slash office. And so you kind of get this impression. He's a very rich guy, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, oh, you know, what? let me know. He was a rich guy. What's that? The uh, contraption he had in his garage. for his convertible. 
Which uh, you yeah. informed me is not uncommon. That's not uncommon. Have. It is a little like uh, I had a neighbor whose wife had. It's like a thing that comes down from this, like lowers down from the ceiling and like lifts the top off. Yeah. It's and for putting just, on um, hard top. You just boots. have that in your garage. You have like a crane in your garage. I don't you think it's that bad. I think it's uh, I had a neighbor who had one. His wife had like a early 2000s Mercedes hum- SL. Humble brag. He had a neighbor who had one. Jeez. He has a he has a lot nicer cars than that. Um, yeah, humble brag is my, he, <laughs> yeah. somebody else has more money than me. Humble brag, um, and uh, he would use that for putting on the hardtop for his wife's SL. And I think I think it was just a thing of um, back in the day that was like either you go to the dealer or you go you have one of those in your house. Um, I wouldn't want one in my garage because I feel like I would just knock myself the fuck out every time I walk into it. <laughs> it seems like a risk. <laughs> so it seems like a bad, bad thing for me. But uh, Roy Scheider's a little guy, so I think he, he he's kind of getting by with it. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's why it was impressive back then, because it's like the only way you could have a hardtop convertible. Kind of, yeah. They like, really yeah, committed had, to the to the yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, you had you had you had to have either somebody help you do it or you had to do it yourself like that where you were basically lashing it onto the back of the car and then onto the windshield so um so that's how you yeah to your point that's how you know he's obviously a very wealthy guy is he has a uh, obnoxiously complicated roof system for his car <laughs> it's crutch <laughs> so yeah it's uh it, it uh this is a fun one it, it was certainly not what I expected because it was uh, Elmore Leonard. I, I'd been watching a lot of his older stuff from the 70s. Um, I think I watched, and I haven't started it yet, but I, I watched um, Mr. Majestic. Oh, yeah. That's a few good. weeks ago. Bronson. Yeah, with Bronson. And like, I mean, Bronson's about as uh, charming as a piece of wood, as, as always. <laughs> in that. But it's like the overall story is pretty fun. Elmore Leonard's known for being pretty quirky with his characters. Yeah. Cause Elmore uh, Leonard's like get shorty as well. Get Shorty right? was like so his, like, his kind of comeback. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. he, it's, it was like, he had um pretty high popularity uh, for his stories in the, I think mid mid late seventies. And then a resurgence, I think in the mid nineties with um, get shorty and that sort of reignited his career, I think for a new generation. So um, this, this one kind of falls right in the middle of maybe sort of a, a low point for him but uh again it's it's a story that's being pulled from 10 years earlier in the 1970s to to uh make it relevant and it does kind of to me the overall movie has that vibe of um they show a lot of stuff that's of the time with with the 1980s but it does have sort of a 1970s sensibility about it yeah and that's i could see why it wasn't a bigger hit because it does feel like a 70s movie so i could see People in 1985 kind of getting that 70s vibe and be like, oh, we've been there, done that. A bit. But but that's what I enjoyed about it so much was it was that 70s vibe with some 80s sensibilities in it, which is a fun, <laughs> a fun combination. I, I, I yeah, like I said, I liked it. I, I kind of didn't know what to expect. Uh, this did not do, I don't think, very well at the box office. Uh, I keep seeing that it did 5.2 million. Uh, I don't know if that's actually like a joke because the movie's title or if it actually did 5.2 <laughs> million. But this came out, I mean, this came out at a tough time. I think it came out when Star Trek 4 was out. And I think I'm not a Star Trek fan. You can correct me. I think that was one of the bigger ones. Um, Crocodile uh, Dundee was yeah. out. Uh, and then Canon also had uh, the Chuck Norris, uh, Luke Gossett Jr., um, uh, Firewalker out around the same time, plus the color of money was in theater. So this had a lot of probably 
more of the time competition. Uh, oh, and also, I think I'm looking at it now. I think this might have been 86. Yeah, it was 86. Yeah, sorry. Well, you might have said it right. And then I said 85, but. Uh, no, but I everything think, else yeah. we've done so far has seems like right. I think that's why I had 85 <laughs> in my head from yeah, the other stuff we did. Uh, but I mean, yeah, Chris- Star Trek 4 was uh, a, a definitely. I mean, Star Trek 2, Star Trek 4 are generally considered the best Star Trek movies. Um, it's a pretty big ones. Uh, well, they can't they can't claim they've got Ron Jeremy as a as a backdrop. So <laughs> actually, good... he uh, he played Spock in Star Trek Four. <laughs> yeah, was Dick. Fact. This is Dick. <laughs> they just glued ears onto it, and that was the uh, <laughs> that was the character. So Bob. yeah, we've t- uh, so this movie has a really seedy underbelly. <laughs> it's got a lot of the Palma vibes. Yeah, and so it's we're talking about the seventies, but it's also very De Palma and very like De Palma eighties and very like Hollywood eighties to a degree of just it's <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but it's trying like I wouldn't say this movie's trying hard to do this, but it's really like wants to get into like a down dirty place. So like one of the oh like so like, these blackmailers who are coming after him. They one of the things they do is they run this, they run a porno theater, and then they <laughs> run this I, strip club. I, I, I guess I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to describe it more. So what you do is you go in and you pay, and they give you a Polaroid camera, and you can take <laughs> pictures of the woman of your choice stripping. Now, it very much is like a front for a whorehouse that it's like oh you want like this it's 25 you want this it's 50 and it's like if they anyone comes to do anything the business can deny it but like, oh no our business is just this and like what they do on their own is their thing um but <laughs> uh but it's just like a it's obviously had for a canon movie obviously has some like thought behind it from someone else of meaning it's too thought how out would this business try to operate to like fool people in like sort of a dumb way and that is the best part about the criminals in this movie of like they're almost smart yeah they i mean their initial plan is is not bad um it gets pretty weird pretty quick but i think that's part of the problem that they reveal throughout the movie is most of their conversations about what they're going to do are them hanging around a kitchen sink at a coke, like a like a por- <laughs> porno coke party. Like that seems to be like so, their their so main their main meeting area. They've had this um they've had this young woman and her name they call her Cinny, but I think it starts short for Cynthia. Um, I, I guess I I had a question about that too. I thought that was such. A I've never heard someone called Cinny in my entire life. But. <laughs> uh, but so she kind of seduces Roy Scheider is dating him for a bit, but they portray her as like, she's, she's not bad. She kind of, I don't know what her backstory is, but she's kind of been pressured into this and she kind of likes him and she would just be happy. It seems like to continue being his like side piece (laughs) for a while (laughs) because he's like a nice guy and treats her well. And she's surrounded by these like scumbag guys. Um, but so they have her, but then they film things, take pictures and whatnot. And then 
and I thought this was a fantastic opening. He Roy Scheider's going to see her and like knocks on the door. Is that and then all of a sudden there's like a gun in his head. And it's like and it's like holy shit. And they push him back into this room, they show him this video of all this stuff, and they all have ski masks on. Um but I love that opening of you really felt for Roy Scheider, like the surprise of Roy Scheider's character getting pulled into it that way of, um, and then you learn like Cindy is sort of in it, sort of not. They do a good job. They they, they do a pretty good (laughs) job. I think later on painting her as sympathetic because you do get the sense. Oh yeah. She's really sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's probably really sad, bad background. She seems like a decent person. And then she's unintentionally gotten sucked into uh, this scheme with, with these guys who, uh, yeah, they um, really uh, sell her as a. She wants like she doesn't want to do this. She's just like trapped. I uh, and I think that's a good jump point uh, for the gang that that's blackmailing him. Yes, it's, it's uh, oh, God, yes, uh, it's Alan Leo and then Bob Bobby Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the and the cast is fun. It it is a group of people that I would never put in the same room, much less uh, in a in a crime syndicate together. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> it's it's Clarence Williams who I think has played a scary, crazy guy in pretty much everything he's ever been in. Um, <laughs> I, I I think I told you I knew him the most from, um, uh, oh god, what is it called? Half Baked. He plays. Oh man, what is oh, his, I can't remember his name? That's all I remember him from as a kid. Samson Simpson. <laughs> Samson Simpson. Thank you. Oh my god, he's in Reindeer Games too. Yeah, oh shit, you're right. You're right. I forgot about that. I forgot a about Frank that. and Hyman regular. <laughs> and he, and he's, he plays Bumpy Williams in American uh American Gangster. So he, he's in a bunch of stuff. I mean, I watched him. I also watched oh, Deep Cover. Yeah. He's someone uh, you've seen in something at some point in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh he he plays a fantastic uh I'm never gonna tell you what I'm gonna do, but a probably good chance he's gonna kill you character <laughs> in pretty much everything he's in. Um but then you've got uh, Leo. Frank. Well, and I guess oh, if ahead, people um, at this time, people probably most of him. He he was one of the main people on the Mod Squad TV show. Oh, really? I didn't know. Okay, yep. I did not know that. I uh, I've never seen the Mod Squad, but was oh he was there's three people, right? So he was one of the three. Yeah. Okay. I uh, I have not seen that, but I will say what no, I have I mean, there's no reason you would have it. It was on. In like the late over, 60s, early 70s. Over like, a decade yeah. before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I consume enough weird media just across any gen- any, any time I mean, frame. That every, everything I, surprises you that you've not seen like something of it. Yeah. I'm disappointed in myself. <laughs> well, um, they've also got the very sweaty uh uh Leo Franks, who seems to be a oh yeah, oh. maybe gay, maybe not. Um uh owner of that. Oh, of that de- club no, you definitely mentioned. gay. He's, he's definitely gay. Okay. Gay. They play no, it so no doubt about him because he's at this party with mostly women, like you know, porn porn stars. But then all of a sudden, it seems like he's in a relationship with one of the guys that works with him. So it's just they play him very weird. He's very sweaty and very nervous almost all the whole movie. Um, and then they've got, uh, uh, like, well, I guess he was by John Glover, but I always call him Jonathan Glover, who plays Alan Ramey, who's sort of the the ringleader of the of the three uh kidnappers or not kidnappers excuse me that that i'm skipping ahead uh, of the three um uh blackmailers and he's i think 
I feel like people would definitely know who he is. Uh, he was in he he was sort of the Donald Trump character in Gremlins two. Uh, he played an <laughs> evil doctor in uh, Batman, a uh, Batman and Robin. Uh, he, I am definitely underselling what his background is. Well, yeah, you're leaving out. Um, He's in, kind of a that in 1981, guy. in the uh, Gary Busey School of Acting, he was a valedictorian. Wait, is that real? I thought you were making a joke. Is that real? I, I was. I, I didn't. I didn't sell the joke as well as as when we were talking earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like Gary Busey's little brother. Like when you said I it, like... I was like, I was like, oh, I thought you weren't kidding earlier. Now I realize you weren't making a joke earlier. Okay, now I kind of fucked that up. But no, he bad. has a big time Gary Busey vibes. Oh, he does. They got. They both have. Um, I think. I think my rating to you was he's somewhere between a Jake and a and a Gary on the teeth scale in terms of just like. <laughs> I could build a house between these teeth and, and and live there for the rest of my life. So, but he's kind of this handsome yuppie ish looking guy. Uh, and he, right, he's, he's like sort of handsome, but like there's a, a sliminess about way. Him. Yeah. And, and he plays that role really well. Um, I was looking through the rest of his IMDb. He also plays kind of a similar character. Uh, he's sort of a corporate um, ladder climber in, uh, in Scrooged. Um, yes. That's, that's where I told you. I have the teeth thing is there's just a scene of it is just reaction shots of Bill Murray and then cutting back and forth between uh, John Glover talking. And so it's like in my head, I'm like, this guy just has giant fucking teeth because for like two minutes, that's all that's filling the screen. It's like his mouth and then Bill Murray looking like terrified. <laughs> so it's, just like a weird, it's like a weird association that got in my head when I was a kid. So. Uh, he's also him. in RoboCop too. He, he he's in a, one of the commercials for. God, um, I feel I feel everyone was in a RoboCop movie in the eighties. I hope they were. Um, I used to see, like RoboCop one, two, or three. I feel like every movie we do, someone was in one of those. Uh, I wish it could have been us. I would have loved to have played RoboCop. <laughs> or the Peter Weir. Uh, Peter Weir. You mean Peter? Uh, oh. Okay. What God, am I doing? Peter Weller. Yes. Yeah, Peter Weller's a director. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, anyways, so I've taken a tough course. So Jonathan Glover plays the um uh, oh he also played uh Lionel Luther on Smallville for anybody who any of our okay. CW listeners. <laughs> we have, we're really popular in the CW audience. <laughs> Exclusively popular in CW. <laughs> Actually, we get an offer from CW. We're going to be exclusive to their platform, the podcast from now on. You can only get us if you subscribe to CW. And if you live in the year 2002. (laughs) um, It's a good move for us. It is a a good move where it's getting getting back to our core core roots. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's it's, it's a pretty good cast. And Margaret also plays um, uh, Shadow's Yeah, and Margaret. I mean, Oscar. She, uh, I, I feel like she probably Where? has the least Not to do many, but, yeah, no. anybody in this, in yeah, this movie. Yeah, she's uh, kind of... She has the giant dollhouse. She has a dollhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of houses you can live in, Jesus, that was... that Like, one one third of conservatively of, of the uh, Mitchell family's bedroom, master bedroom, <laughs> is a weird yeah, black so painted... Roy Shatter and Marker, their, be- their bedroom, massive dollhouse in it. And not... Look, I own a lot of shit that's not age appropriate, so I'm not one to judge. So, like, I'm fully on board with her enjoying her dollhouse. I'm sure it's worth a ton of money, or means a lot, or something. But it's a choice for the movie. It's a it was a choice. 
I do. Uh, so yeah. So so um, uh, Harry Mitchell, our, our lead character, gets set up and blackmailed. I think he after he talks to his attorney, which I, I had a problem with this because when he's talking to his attorney and they're also setting up his sort of you know business acumen of doing this metallurgy thing. He seems very nonchalant about the fact that he cheated on his wife. And he's just very open with his attorney of like, yeah, I did that. And I was going to call it off. But then this happened. And yeah, <laughs> so and- I've read that as um, he's had some other pretty tough conversations with his attorney before. Yeah, like they might be a dead body buried somewhere. <laughs> because, like- well, also, apparently he owes the government a lot of money. So, <laughs> yeah, it's true, too, which we find out later. That's the irony is. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the, the whole movie, like, the, let's talk about it. The title is 52 Pickup. And I think it's I think it's a play on the uh, the um, card game you mentioned earlier, but I also think it's yeah. uh, I'm assuming it's just a, a, a fun play on words by I'm assuming Elmore Leonard would put that in. I feel like that's too yeah. smart for canon. Um, oh my god, yes, <laughs> like I- infinitely smarter than what anything canon could do. But uh, uh, it, the, the the irony of everything is you go through the blackmail process. They're asking him for I think it was like one hundred and five thousand dollars one time for hush money. And to get rid of the tapes that and, and photos they have of, of him cheating on his wife. And uh, he, they're supposed to do a, uh, an exchange at the Dodgers game. And uh, yes. he, he said, which of course, I was like, I'm sure you're pumped about that. I did find <laughs> yeah. somewhere online, somebody actually identified what game it was. And it was like, they're playing the Mets, I think. Or something <laughs> like, that. like it was a real game. They filmed this at. So that seems. You could of- tell, you could tell the way they shot it, which is always impressive of. They actually like, went to a game, like yeah, like, like a Tuesday night or something like. But that. it's also why they were in like the way, 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 way upper deck because Dodger Stadium is the massive; it can fit like fifty-five thousand people or something crazy. So, like, I'm sure they had no problem renting them an entire section for one <laughs> random summer baseball game. Like, so, yeah. but, but still, like, it takes a lot of effort to. to do that. And it was a good scene. Like, it made it just makes it feel more real that. Who what you, you think, see on the field is looking real. Who do you think did the baseball LA baseball better? Uh the naked gun at the LA Angels when they try and kill the queen or this this uh money drop. Well, one naked Dodger gun was at the Stadium. California Angels. Oh, did they change it? Were they called the California Angels at the time? So back when a... Naked Gun would have been filmed, they would have been the California Angels. Oh, and then okay. they became the Anaheim Angels, and then they became the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and it was like a whole Jesus bullshit Christ. thing. <laughs> I forget they're a baseball team. I always think about Dodgers when I think LA. Yeah, because well, sure they're in Anaheim. That's not LA. <laughs> it's, oh, fair. No one who lives in LA is ever going to Anaheim except when they do, like, we're going to Disney as a family. <laughs> like, no one's going to an Angels game who lives in LA because just because of the traffic there. It's like, that'd be an insane choice to make. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to look up Anaheim, California, because I feel like you're really just shitting on the people of Anaheim, California. No, Anaheim's fine. It's nice. Just I lived in L.A. Like going to Anaheim is a pain in the ass. Like, oh, yeah. OK. Yeah, that's that's a ways out there. I didn't realize how far south it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that that concludes our geography lesson for the day. But yeah, uh, so. Part of part of the fun reveal later on is you keep thinking, like, why won't Scheider's character, uh, Harry, pay? Why won't he pay? He should have all this money. They keep messaging he's rich. And then it's revealed that, you know, okay, the title's 52 pickup. Well, after he's apparently had to pay off all these back taxes to the IRS, he only has like $52,000 in assets, I think, in his business. So he's ostensibly but broke. That's all he can. That's all he could get, like cash wise. He can get 52 grand in cash if he yeah. has to. 
but that like that like straps him out and then it's like yeah i'm not gonna be able to like, i'm not gonna be able to get more after this because the government takes it uh, so yeah i thought that was a fun that was kind of a fun he, reveal oh good he does also tell him i'm not gonna change my lifestyle for this so i think potentially but he's like i'm not gonna sell my house yeah basically and like like yeah it's like i'm sure he has a nice home I'm sure he sold that he you could get you know it would probably also go hundred grand IRS. pretty easily. It'd probably go to the IRS too. It's probably why it's probably why he's also saying that is, is true because in, in theory, yeah, any any money he makes goes uh, for for back taxes. It sounds like he owes. So yeah, I think you're that, right. That was kind of a fun reveal. I, I liked that, and because I kept asking, like, why is this such a big deal? And, like, this guy looks like he's a fucking millionaire, right? Complaining about a hundred thousand dollars, um, which is fun because he denies it. He 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 he, <laughs> he puts. Oh, was he put him like a weird message in a bag and it just or like an envelope and just says bag your ass or something like that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I forgot. Oh, I wish I had that written down. You know, he did. He gives them the exchange at Dodger Stadium and they take it and the guys are like all the way back in the car driving away. And then they open it up and it's like a newspaper cut into like dollar bill shapes. Yeah. With like a, the message. And, like, yeah. and, it, and like the one guy is like has the one package and he's like, I told you it'd work. I told you it'd work. And then he opens <laughs> it up. And he's like, motherfucker. I just, I got to look up what bag your ass means. I, I, I Obviously it's an insult. I I feel like it's really dated. I have no idea what the, uh, <laughs> what the context of it is, but uh, that's kind of interesting point though, is because that's when the movie really takes kind of a pretty dark turn. Yeah, we get to get into the, these bad guys who are a black man in them. <laughs> well, and this is like, um, I think we're kind of we're skipping around a little bit, but I think basically when Harry Harry denies them and says, "I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna pay," uh, and part of his reason for not going to the police, this this did make me laugh, and this is kind of like also a sad part of the movie to me was, Anne Margaret is also his wife is running for. No, uh, city council or or she's running for like junior district oh, attorney or something which talking about star trek 4 so is she in that they, no she she's not in it but just so they, district attorneys in star no, trek so 4. they go so <laughs> she goes into like a meeting they tell her we want you to run the district attorney tells her we want you to run on the ticket as something and so like she goes home and tells her now but he's stuck a, of do I tell her about this blackmail and affair? Oh, but now she has this like mass, like massive career thing going on where I want to be there to support her. So it doesn't feel right. I should tell her and ruin that. And so, so yeah, but so they go to this big banquet where they're announcing the candidates and stuff. So Roy Scheider is sitting at this table and the guy next to him is in Star Trek four. <laughs> so you've seen Star Trek four, Scotty and McCoy go to this plastics factory and this guy, there's a guy who takes him on like a tour of it, and he's that guy. And they give him, they entice him to give them some something by like offering him this like futuristic formula of of something. But but he's that guy. And then, so it's so funny that you're talking Star Trek fours in theaters, and this is happening. Um, so you're telling me that, that this guy, that this guy, guy at the banquet was that having guy a was fucking popular 1986. <laughs> First, it's a plastic plastic factory. Now it's a nice dinner. This is fantastic. <laughs> but I, so I'm like massive Star Trek fans. I've seen Star Trek four a million times. So when that guy was sitting next to Rush, I was like, "Holy shit, that's a Star Trek four guy!" <laughs> Holy shit, that's the guy from Jaws sitting next to the guy from Star Trek four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I I thought this whole 
Roy Scheider's character confused me uh, at times in this movie. And I don't <laughs> think it's I don't think it's like Scheider doing a bad job. I think it's just like some of the sometimes it felt like the writing was done for convenience of kind of moving the plot along, even if it wasn't hmm. maybe genuine to the character. Kind of trying wise. to just keep things pushing along. Yeah. So, that, um, well, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I, I interrupted you. Well, I was going to say to that point, what I read the book, the character. So Roy Scheider is always pretty confident in this. Always seems to know what he's doing. At the, and then there's a couple times where it like, oh, his plans have gone awry. But he always seems to be on top of things. And I guess in the book, like Cine? he expresses a lot more doubts. It seems less like confident. confident less, and obviously, there's a book. It's easier to have an inner monologue and express those things. Um, but he feels very extremely competent to a degree where you kind of expect him to come out on top. And I, I, I get the yeah. impression the book doesn't necessarily feel that way. That's one thing I, I kind of didn't like about this is it never really feels like there's any stakes for, for Harry. It always feels like there's stakes for everybody around him, but there's never, it's never going to, excuse me. It's never going to get that bad for him is what it kind of, it's as weird as that sounds like it's, it's like there's always going to be something that's going to get him out of it. And there's movies like this. I never quite know how intentional that is. And yeah. I can't, at least I enjoy this movie a lot. And there's a lot of movies like this noir-esque movies um, that I like. And there's, but there's something that doesn't quite fully connect with me. And I'm wondering if it's something with that where I'm not, and I'm not, I, I think if it, once this clicks with me, I think it'll fully click. But there's a cynical nature to the, conception of the movie of I'm looking at it as this guy did something bad and proper storytelling he's going to be punished for it but it's almost a lot of the movie is like oh like he's trying not to be punished for it and it's like oh it seems like the movie is going to let him get away with this Um, and so it's, it's it's I don't know. There's something in there that I, I've not put my put my finger on for movies of this nature of of figuring out where, but you do kind of be like, well, it's like you brought this all on yourself to some degree. So, as a satisfying story, it's like I do want to see you suffer a little bit, not to the extreme. This could potentially go. But like watching you squirm seems justified. And there are times where it's like, eh, I'm not watching you squirm enough. You still seem a little too confident and cocky in this situation. That's that's kind of what I not kind of I, I didn't like about it was it the, that confidence level feels like there's never an arc for Harry. Like he doesn't really change as a character across the movie you see him do a lot of interesting stuff and he is an interesting character because he is a guy who's trying to unwind and and sort of put the genie back in the bottle for this thing he's done wrong but the way the movie plays it is to your point i think it it shows him juxtaposed to what maybe the book was it shows him as very confident and, and comfortable the whole time 
or at least on top of what's going on to a point. And then you just watch all the women pay for his mistake. <laughs> even uh, even yeah. up to the, like, oh, the last yeah. shot, yeah. you're just like, yeah, I mean, buddy, you didn't really pay for anything. I mean, your life's going to be shitty after this, but it's also like, well, you're, spoiler alert, your wife got drugged and raped by one of these guys. And your 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 uh, uh, side piece got shot to death and dumped in a river somewhere. So it's like he got off pretty easy because he doesn't really get hurt. He doesn't really like. There's no real mo- compared to like the direct consequences yeah, like, to these women. Everybody, yeah, all of the women in this actually bear the consequence of his bad decisions, which is like which is, very direct. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah. yeah. That, that was that was one thing that stood out to me. It, it, I feel like in 1986 that would have been less noticed, but it does feel in like 2022. Like okay, that. That probably yeah, wouldn't fly yeah. very well, uh, and it, and that, that kind of shook me but, just because you don't ever really see. Scheider's a good actor. Again, I don't I don't think it's him. It's just the writing. I don't feel like there was a good enough arc for for Harry to redeem himself at the end. And, of it, other than I, but, guys. I don't I don't know if that's somewhat intentional of because you talk about this is you feel some like seventies DNA in this, and then just it's not meant to be a journey for his character it's meant more almost cautionary tale or even just you know this like this is what happens when you make selfish decisions that you hurt the people around you and you're not going to get any redemption arc the people around you are just hurt and yeah you're gonna have to deal with that Speaking from personal experience of my family not having some, unfortunately having some similarities to Harry, <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate. Is it's typically everybody else who does get hurt more, um, you know, a, a tied to some of this. So I, I don't think it's unrealistic, but I do think so, for the story, it, it, it could have been more compelling to see. see yeah. But, so that's a part of me is like, is this more adult storytelling uh, or be- is it? storytelling that needs another polish and I, I go back and forth on it it's canon so you're gonna have to because you never really know if it was just laziness <laughs> well, right and the source material I, I have some faith in was like good adult storytelling but then the canon aspect of it of and that's why i think the novel saying this guy expresses more doubts and more yeah. inner turmoil um we probably that's what we probably needed a little bit more of seeing him the tort like what this was doing to him and you do see that to a degree because there's a nice scene where his like wife has like pushed him away and he's not staying there anymore um and they have like is an emotional time for them and then he like lunges at her and just like hugs her and and, and you'd get like you can extrapolate a bit of like how much pain he's in and how much he desperately needs like some contact like that um but you're doing a little bit of work as the audience with that too no that that's i think you're right um i wish we had more of that more of that and, and you, they give it a little a bit couple too, more moments of it yeah when he's driving up and drive and then he gets to like the a peak and then he just jumps out and looks kind of crazed like he's <laughs> just kind of a guy at the end of his rope um and I, I just think that they needed to do that a little bit more to earn it because then he kind of goes right back down to being buttoned up and, and uh, 
uh, going after and starting starting to try and do his own investigation into these guys since he obviously can't go to the police. Um, so, well, I had a question for you, which was um, there's a big party seat pretty early <laughs> on where they introduced the uh, the um, uh, three bad guys, uh, Leo, uh, Bobby Shy and, and Alan. And uh, in that scene, I think it's less about to me, those guys and more about what is your favorite 1980s adult film star that they managed to <laughs> wrangle into this movie? <laughs> it's it's so crazy. I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. That's the most De Palma thing of this whole movie to me is like, yeah, no, like we got a real adult stars to be in this movie. Why? Well, you think we're not going to do that? <laughs> right. I, I guess if you really ask my favorite, I, I guess I'll go with Amberlynn. I got it. Like, <laughs> okay, but, like, uh, but it's you point this out in your notes. It's so glaringly obvious who the actual adult film stars are. Yeah, because. It felt like they were having to just, cut around stuff they were already doing on their own. They're just aggressively <laughs> like doing this stuff. <laughs> but it's like, oh, you want me to be nude? Great. I'm going to do here's my nude. And they're like, no, we need to dial it back. We need to, we can't, we can't actually show it, everything. Don't get me wrong. It sells the hell out of these guys are into the CD world. Yeah. But it almost, it almost does the reverse where it makes these guys seem like less CD because. It feels like the LA rest, in the 1980s. The rest of the imagine. stuff they're doing, it's like they seem not up to this. It's like <laughs> <laughs> they're not this hardcore as these people are. I, uh, I, yeah, that's true. It, it does feel like they're hangers on, uh, to like in that party. And, and maybe they not... are. And that's why they're doing this bizarre blackmail scheme to like, Sort of Try pull to, money together to raise to keep that lifestyle going. To do so, like yeah, I don't know. It does feel like I haven't looked at inflation, but I do think that like a hundred thousand dollars, even in nineteen eighty six, feels like not a lot of money to uh, kidnap and then ultimately murder somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, spoiler alert after after uh, Harry doesn't pay. <clears throat> excuse me. They kidnap. I guess they kidnap or they abduct Sydney or whatever, and then. Uh, weirdly film themselves murdering her and they do it almost like they're filming a magic trick yeah it's so if this in this feels very de palma as well because it's hard to it's, it's, like, there's weird choices being made I, I don't know. so <laughs> they like put a board in front of her and shoot through the board and i i just don't understand they seem to be trying to set up evidence do things but then they're filming them committing a murder and like yeah it's like like, why are you filming this murder well and that i should have i should have added right um they steal um harry's gun they break into his house and steal his gun so they can frame him and they use that gun yeah so gun a jacket uh so they're gonna yeah yeah but yeah it's I think I, I wasn't sure. Well, I know why they did the um, the board, because from a movie standpoint, they needed somewhere to put the squibs because they rip open <laughs> the actress's shirt. Uh, yes, because no, they need to show. Yeah, yeah. I guess they're trying to show that, it, that this is real. But I, I think that was what they're trying to hide the squibs. But then it's like they hold up the board and they like shine a flashlight through it to show there's like real holes that have gone through the, the board. And it felt I, mean, like I guess they're watching... trying not to have blood splash anywhere else. Yeah, that's true. That could but be true I don't. That's my. I it's shot like a David weird. Copperfield 
like yeah illusion like like well, hey look at this board it's real see and i think you had this in your notes where it feels like <laughs> she's gonna turn up alive later it does because I, I thought that was gonna be faked like they, they were gonna reveal the whole thing was fake they go to such lengths to do this weird these weird things yeah like and i think the movie would have been better if they and that, i guess that i'll spoiler alert that's where i'm gonna go with it is i think the movie would have been better if they had spent if i'll say 10 percent more of the budget i uh, couldn't find what the budget was but let's say they spent 10 percent more of the movie and the big reveal to me that's interesting would be is if cine actually was the mastermind behind the whole thing and your red herring is alan and that you reveal that she's alive and she's actually the one who set up um Harry, I think that would have been a more interesting because the, these guys movie. are inept enough. I think they're smart, but not that smart. Well, you'd believe there was a ring, like a, someone smarter behind them, if it turned out like yeah, it was intelligently like keeping herself out of oh, any man. face. I just like, realized facing something. actual people. Like. <laughs> this is basically the plot of Reindeer Games. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I've never whole... seen Reindeer Games. Are you sucking? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I've not seen Reindeer Games. It's a John Frankenheimer classic. I'll, I'll remedy that immediately. It's a John Frankenheimer Ben Affleck uh, classic. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll ruin it for you. The the big reveal is there's a guy whose death gets faked, uh, and that's how Ben Affleck's character gets out of jail. Is is he assumes somebody else's identity, uh, and it's his friend in jail who who fakes it, and then you, he's it's revealed at the end that. That he's not actually dead. It was all just subterfuge, and and uh, Charlize Theron, who's his girlfriend, is Jeez. basically um uh part of, part ringleader of this entire gang. Where the whole time you've, you've kind of thought she's a victim of him. So I wonder. I I I think I think either <laughs> Chad Frank and I took the lessons. Yeah, he's a like, fifty-two I, pickup and applied it to reindeer games. He's like, I really missed something here with fifty-two pickup, and I got to come back around he, on it. He had to wait ten years, but he finally <laughs> got to do it. Oh, 20, almost twenty, or well, fourteen. That's nineties. Yeah. Oh, reindeer games is like two thousand. Is it really new millennium, baby? New millennium. We were in wow. we were in a brave new world watching movies <laughs> like reindeer games. So, are you saying it's post Matrix? Post Matrix, uh, pre nine eleven. Oh God. <laughs> Only time it could have been made. <laughs> it's a very small window where Reindeer Games was going to make make an impact. <laughs> but I was just thinking about it. I'm like, it's it's a lot of the same concepts as this, where uh, where I think this kind of gets it wrong. Of of they could have taken the Cine character and made it much more interesting and have her really be the one who set up Roy Scheider, and that to me would have given him given them an opportunity to at least at the end show a more emotional transition where he feels like he's been betrayed and, and, and double crossed perhaps. Yeah. Well, and to what we we're talking about before, it's another thing where it's like, I think the movie storytelling thinks it's punishing Scheider by like, Oh, your actions made her get killed. And it's like, that's not punishing him. That's punishing her. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure he feels kind of bad, but like, probably not as bad as she did when she got shot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> This keeps things in perspective here. What happened? Like, well, that's so, what I, I. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I feel like we've not talked enough about these these three uh, bad guys. I think we really got to dig into them. Well, let's go for it. So, Alan, John Glover, teeth. Yes, <laughs> and so <laughs> when he so he this party we're talking about with a lot of real porn actors there. Um, 
Ron Jeremy with and the it, background. It credit. seems like a porno '80s cook party. Like, like, but he's filming on like this giant VHS camera. But it baffled me for the longest time. I couldn't figure out why. But he's wearing an eye patch. I was like, why is this guy wearing an eye patch? And I finally figured, put it together. The eye patch is to help him film, so he, he can only see out of the camera. <laughs> It's it's like depth, depth perception type thing uh but just to block that like vision out <laughs> but anyway uh but his backstory is he went to northwestern business school but i guess it like so he's like a smart guy is what they're portraying Wait, so that's why the, I, in the movie the character went to northwestern yes yeah oh i missed that part, I totally oh, missed no. that part. so when it so when rush Schneider meets him uh, at his office and has him look at his books to see, like, to understand, like, I owe a bunch of money to the government. There's nothing for me to give you. Uh, he's like, yeah, you seem like a smart guy. And the guy's like, yeah, I went to like Northwestern business school, but I, I and is like, basically like, ah, I was more interested in like Coke and porn stars. So <laughs> <laughs> I came out here and did this. Uh, um, but is always supposed to be like the brains behind everything and like an actual like smart guy, but is kind of like a sex drug addict. And so, all right, you talked about Leo, right? Yeah, is the other. So that guy is definitely gay. Like he has like a boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. My my question is: Alan, gay or bisexual? They kind of leave that open. They don't really feel explain like, yeah. that. It does feel like he might have a thing with Leo or somebody in that theater. Now, Leo is kind of disgusting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, I don't really think Alan would mess around with Leo. But I don't know. He seems like a really selfish, manipulative asshole. So he might to exploit Leo. <laughs> well, I think they, they even say, too... Um to your to your point when they're talking about the uh the ledger the accounting ledger for like five minutes this movie becomes a bookkeeping movie which is a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. um with somebody in the accounting and finance sector uh and uh <laughs> i think after he gets the prints for alan the attorney uh Scheider, or harry's attorney looks it up and finds that he was like charged with rape or something like that or sexual assault i think that was oh, i think that was I, something I they, that. They say. <laughs> okay so i think they say that which sets up when he has his way with Anne Margaret at the end after she's okay. drugged up. I think yeah. I think that was sort of a tee up for. Uh, I mean, that's why he had to like abandon the legitimate life. Or yeah, it could be. Yeah, like he's just a fucking creep. I don't know. It feels the eighties. I feel corporate America would <laughs> welcome with, with not arms uh, open. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, okay, so that's two of them, uh, and then we have our last uh, uh, Bobby yeah. Shy. <laughs> so he's the muscle. He seems like the fucking buzzkill to bring to that party because he just looks crazy. And so it's like you go through the kitchen and there's this crazy. They, they show guy. him doing coke with and then he's still just like stoic. <laughs> <laughs> the only guy to do cocaine and have no reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he doesn't get excited to do anything. Um so he's kind of like the guy who like kills people in the group who like you're in the way. So the scene he goes after um, um, Roy Shatter and his wife. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he ends up killing Leo. But then he goes after Alan. And one of my favorite writing touches in this was throughout this, Alan, every time 
something comes up where it's like, yeah, we probably need to kill that person. He's always like, well, Bobby, like he, you got to do it. <laughs> you're, you're the guy. You're a guy who does that. Um, and it really like, builds up to be like, oh, Alan doesn't want to get his hands dirty and kill somebody. And then at the very end, where they're all in Roy Scheider, and that's why this, the script is really good. This Roy Scheider has kind of set these guys up against each other. Yeah. Um, and so Bobby's coming to, he's going to kill Alan. And you can see he feels really confident and secure of like, oh, like Alan's kind of a pussy. He's not going to kill anybody. Like, I'm just going to show up and blast him. And this, the second he shows up, like Alan pulls out a gun and kills him. It's like, oh, Alan was setting him up all along of when it comes time, when it's me against you, you're going to under- underestimate me and not think I have the guts to actually kill somebody. And, and I'm a hundred percent just going to kill you when the time's right. Uh, um, and I was like, wow, it's like, it's just a smart, smart writing, smart script um, with a lot of with these bad guys of what they're doing and then playing them off against each other of how this all unravels for them. I did like that. I liked that you, you see Scheider's character is smart enough to see that Leo is the weak link of the three or the weakest link of the three. And so he, mm-hmm. he plants a seed with Alan that, that Leo had, had tipped him off to camera. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he, like he tips him off that, that through something that, that via Leo or, or tells him that Leo was the, well, it's because um, Alan is going to, so he offers Alan, like, all I can give you is 52 grand. That's all I got. Oh, that's I showed right. him my book. That's right. And Alan goes back and just tells them, oh, this guy can't actually pay. Let's just move on to another thing. And he's just going to keep the 52 grand for himself. And that's a shatter meets with these other guys independently and tells them, oh, like, he didn't tell you about the 52 grand. And that's what sets them up. That's right. Going at So he plays their own selfishness against them i i did like that i thought the stuff with bobby at the end it happens so fast they don't really pay it doesn't pay off maybe or doesn't land as much as much as a payoff as it could because it happens and then you go to this insane scene where his girlfriend doreen is trying to drive a car out of like this 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 vanity out of this building and it's just her getting shot and then running like literally probably 10 times into like different pillars and getting <laughs> stuck. And you're just like, yeah, I can't believe that this one we haven't talked about vanity. <laughs> like, it's just multiple scenes with her that are pretty crazy. Well, and she, her real name is crazier than her character's name. She plays Doreen in this, which is like <laughs> such a weird. Wow. Shots at Doreen's. <laughs> uh, sorry. I don't know any Doreen's, uh, but I mean, <laughs> I forgot she's in Action Jackson. She's in Terror Train. God damn right she is. Um, which we are going to cover Action Jackson at some point. Was she in Purple? No, she's not in Purple Rain. Um, yeah, I think she is. Is she? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. All right, now I have to look. So it that's up. her. I, I think thought... like she's like Prince. Like I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to. Um, I thought she was Prince's girlfriend in that, but no, that's Apollonia. Yeah. Sorry, that's Apollonia. She's in something similar to that. I think, but no, I think she was a singer that I think Prince um, worked with as well. Wait Maybe that's it. why. Um, oh, that's right. She was in The Last Dragon. She, yeah. Oh, she did um, Nasty Girl, which I think Prince wrote and I think she sang. 
I feel like I'm. Oh man, she yeah, died. Yeah, oh, she was shit, a model and a lead the lead singer of the girl old girl group Vanity Six. But I think that Prince was involved with that as well. Wait for it. Uh, while we were going down a weird rabbit hole. Oh, she was with Prince. Like they were. This is their partners. I guess they were dating or something. And uh, um, like a couple years before this movie came out. Okay. All right. Well, we've solved we, that mystery. We did it. <laughs> we did it. We got there. So she's not in Purple Rain, but musically she's linked back to uh to Prince. So we got there. Thank God. Um uh but no, I I um I liked her character. I again uh another woman in this who pays the price for ultimately for Roy Scheider and, and these other guys fuck ups. Yeah, uh, she tries is, to she help him a, and then <laughs> she has a horrible death and like Bobby uh, Shy is Bobby chokes and, a sh- I just, I didn't, he's we we didn't Which, talk about two. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Credit to Clarence Williams of <laughs> quite the performance. Well, my favorite Bobby Shy moment was um, when he <laughs> he has this weird conversation with um, Leo. I think it's at the like the um, their the whorehouse or whatever, and you think he's going to attack him, and then he ends up just leaving. And it, I guess it's it's uh, Leo and his boyfriend are talking about trying to basically escape that night and get out of L.A. And so Bobby Bobby Shy like threatens him, and then he walks out, and then you you have this. It, it gets really obvious pretty quick, but uh, Leo's boyfriend's standing in front of this giant window that's like 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 a fogged out window at the front of their their shop, and then from a like well traversed street, you see Bobby Shy with a silenced pistol blast out the window and kill both of them. So I was like, okay, that's a pretty bold choice. <laughs> it's a hitman. Not a lot of reason to have a, a, a silencer if you're just going to start shooting people through on a, on a public street. <laughs> well, and he just goes like more and more unhinged as this goes on. Yeah, that's true. Um, but but all the all three of those guys just are I. You don't fully buy why they are in this together, but all three of them give such great big performances that it's fine. Like they're just enjoyable. Like they're always compelling on screen. They're always, uh, they're always interesting. And like, they're always just like arch and sinister, but in Alan, probably Bobby shy is more one note than the other ones are. Yeah. I, I, that I you don't right. fully get him fleshed out. The other two get pretty fleshed out of, like they're just not great people, but like they're just trying to make a living and they don't mind doing some dirty CD stuff to do it. Well, I, Leo definitely feels like somebody uh, um, um, who probably is in, well, not probably is definitely in over his head and probably a guy who had a sort of shitty life and thought this was going to be his ticket to get out of it. And then, and then very quickly realizes like he's in over his head and like, yeah, he's not really bringing a lot to this this criminal relationship, <laughs> other than than uh, basically like a honey trap for for Scheider's character. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, so, so Scheider's got a sweet ass car, pickup trucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sweet ass pickup trucks everywhere. <laughs> um, and at. <laughs> 
you see him working on it at various times during the movie. And that is a setup. That and the bad speakers, apparently, that are in the car. Yeah. They make a lot of emphasis on how bad the, the sound system is in the car. Uh, so getting to the end, his wife has been kidnapped. And so he's calling. He's like, all I want is my wife back. And like, I'm going to give you the money. And like, oh, like I know you like my car. I'll give you the car, too. Um, and so he, they go. They meet up at what, like, a, uh, like a bridge or something. Yeah, they and, keep going back to this bridge. I yeah. don't quite know what the, what the importance of it is, but they spend a lot of time there. It's important because it it's going to be at the end. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I was. All right, never mind. You keep going. Never mind. No. Nah, so, um, so I, I was trying to figure out how realistic all these things were. He, <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> Andrew is picking the nose of John Glover behind him. <laughs> he asked for it. it there, there's times where if I'm looking at you, because uh, you've got the Van Damme with his hands up. Uh, and, it like, looks like he's going to crush my head. No, it looks like those are your actual arms. Like, like for sex, sometimes <laughs> if I'm not like really paying attention, it looks like Wait. it's almost proportionate enough that it looks yeah, it's like it could be your your actual body. Like, wow, Mike's, <laughs> Mike's wearing just a tank top on the podcast. Yeah. It's aggressive. And he's fucking ripped. <laughs> <laughs> And it looks like there's a bunch of people cheering him on. (laughs) (laughs) And he said the Kumite? What? Oh, man, I'm jealous. Uh, So the end of this movie, so um, it's going basically for like a ransom exchange now that it's the wife. Um, But Shatter's got a trick or two up his sleeve. (laughs) Oh, he does. So he's going to, he gives the guy the car. But I'm still trying to figure out. So, so you kind of have seen now what's coming. Um, that he's been working on this car, and you've seen. So, w- with his job, his business, you've seen explosions because it's a canon movie. So, they had to be explosions. Uh, by law, there has to be canon canon explosions. Uh, but so, so the guy gets in the car. I don't understand how the doors automatically lock. <laughs> Yeah, because they set up that he 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 figures this whole scheme up out in like an hour, and somehow engineers this automatic locking system on his car <laughs> and the speaker. But, right, because the, the guy makes a comment about how shitty his speakers are. So like, yeah, yeah. But uh, so but so he sets him up where they're gonna do an exchange. The guy gets gets the car, gets the money. But shatters free the car with a car bomb. So when he gets in it, uh, the car explodes. And now all the bad guys are dead. Shatter and his wife are finally free of them. And can deal with all their trauma from this horrific experience. Yeah, where his wife was addicted now to heroin, I think. And she was raped by one of the guys who just got blown up. I mean, she got injected with heroin once. So I think she'll be okay. That was my question, and this is not like a super serious question, but does do hair does heroin actually work that fast? Because he injects her immediately, it's like she just crumples. <laughs> I'm like, is that really like I how mean, fast drugs? Movies work? and TV would lead me to believe it does. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that's really my only experience with heroin. You know what? Andrew, somebody... I'll go out tonight. I'll get some heroin, some black tar heroin, and just I'll do see it. how it goes. And I'll I'll let you know. I'll let you know the results. <laughs> please do. Please Seems just like film a great it so idea. I can, so I can see how fast you you collapse when you when you take it. Yeah, um, yeah, totally a good idea. That that's I don't know, man. I get home from work and like take the first sip of a beer. 
it feels pretty good right away. So that's true. That's true. <laughs> I guess you know, it was the arrow hits your bloodstream. <laughs> um, I, I I liked I liked the ending. I liked the him calling because uh, throughout the movie. Alan keeps calling uh, Harry sport is kind of a dig or whatever. Oh, yes. I do like, uh, what does he say? It's like, oh, man, I, I can't a smile. You son of a bitch. Oh, that's right. That? And he, shoots the, he shoots the tank. Yeah, he shoots right? the tank. He shoved, it's in his mouth. It's like he says something like, I got you sport or something like that. No, it sounds that sounds stupid. Yeah. No, I th- actually think I actually do think it's in my notes. Um, so long sport. <laughs> so long sport. I like that. I did like Shider delivering. Kind but of it's why you need an actor of Shider's caliber. To deliver, it, it's to deliver because it's really good. It, it feels satisfying, because um, it's like jackass, this like annoying evil guy has said sport this whole goddamn movie. I did enjoy that. Like, so it ends. He blows up. He blows up Alan. He gets the last word in. Um, Alan's dead. Uh, but what is the next day like? Because Alan's burning, <laughs> burning in a car that is registered to Roy Scheider on a bridge in public. <laughs> That's a great point. And the whole the whole intent there are gonna like, be questions. Yeah, like the whole intent was to cover this up so that his wife could not get her campaign ruined uh for city but, council or whatever. But now her husband now has she's, a yeah, dead husband, body in his car. Got a dead body in his car on a bridge, and she's addicted to heroin. And so it's like I think you actually made this way worse. <laughs> if you step back and look at it, you should have just paid him some money and, and got him to go away uh, that is fantastic i didn't think about that with the car they're obviously gonna know like i'm assuming hey, uh what what happened i mean i guess he's just gonna report it stolen and well yeah i guess i mean <clears throat> that that's some of the stuff where the movie feels a little dumb and great it's a movie i'm i'm being way too critical but there was some there was parts where they set up again harry to be very smart and they set up his wife um uh, to be very smart too but then it's like after they know that after Scheider's character knows that they've killed Sinny and after they know that they've broken in to his house once to take that gun to to commit that crime, um, they don't really change anything. They're like, OK, well, I'm going to, you know, go take casual laps in the pool uh, in my house. It just <laughs> it just seems strange. Like, get out of town. Like, maybe maybe, maybe have your wife. Yeah, it seems like she was bail on this. So that once yeah, the break in happens, like go to a hotel. Like, yeah, it's anything. Yeah. And then even after I think um, Bobby Shy breaks in and tries to kill uh, it, Harry, the most ridiculous thing: skinny ass Roy Scheider <laughs> wins yeah. a fight against Clarence Williams. Like I, I just like. Well, and, and to your point, it was a cool, it was a cool scene, a cool fight scene because yeah. it's it's shot at night, um, and it's it's mostly lit through a, a flashlight that's being carried through the scene the entire time. Yeah, that, yeah that no, was, it's a great, yeah, it's a great scene, well shot. It just it's like. He's just a little guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of feel like there's not a short Scheider. Scheider's not got a great shot at actually surviving <laughs> that fight. But now he, now he sells it acting wise because he has a scene with Alan or Leo. I don't know. He he threatens him. Alan, I think. Where John Glover is definitely a bigger guy than him, but he threatens him with like violence. And you see Alan like kind of back down. It's like, but Scheider sells it really well, where it's like, I believe it on acting, but then my brain is kind of like looking at him. And so it's it's like he's a hell of an actor to sell that off, but it's at some point it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fair. 
I, uh, well, I, I was, this is random, but I was to your point looking at it and, uh, I didn't realize, but the, uh, the DP for this is a guy named, uh, named Joss, uh, Vacano. And he must've been a Verhoeven guy because he did RoboCop total recall. Oh yeah. Russian Troopers yeah. and showgirls. And then he was also the DP, I think for Das boot. So, um, yeah, no, a hell of a, yeah. So, I mean like that, that guy's got a pretty, pretty crazy career and he's got a bunch of uh, European stuff as well um, tied into it. But I, well, I, I will say for any guy like Frankenheimer, you can get. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. You, you are getting people, you know, you are um, bringing in a higher caliber probably all the way around, but uh, he also did the never ending story. But, um, but I do <laughs> yeah. think this looks like, again, you know, I, I, I am probably being a dead horse, but just visually the way this is shot and it's only shot a year, a year different from American Ninja. This looks like a true, like it it looks like a professional movie. It's well lit. It looks like a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, American Ninja looks like something. I I could have maybe shot on like a home VHS recorder in the 80s. Yeah. Um, This just visually is a a much more interesting movie. And I'm sure some of that's budget, but a lot of it is the talent behind doing it that it, you know they know how to stage things and light things and it's just um yeah it's just it looks it looks really good i uh we'll we'll talk more on that i uh i watched um because it's today is november 30th so i i skipped ahead and watched missing in action because it's it's leaving amazon uh <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> so just being cheap and watched it ahead and that was my you know what takeaway. you know what it's not leaving your heart my DVD collection. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot we should play that game. Is what like 50 50 or better coin toss that Mike owns this movie? Um, or or bought it because we're doing it. Or well, fair. Because <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Well, I, I will say that that's what gets me is so the that's directed by um Joseph Zito, and then the DP is a guy named Jao Fernandez. And those are both guys who did some of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Uh, I think they did oh, part wow. four around the, so around the same That's, time. And, and yeah, they did what was the sequel for Missing in Action, but they ended up flipping them. And it, <laughs> it's funny when you look at them. The one they shot first does look like it was made ten years earlier than the one that they actually <laughs> shot within like the same six month window. And it's it's just crazy when you when you look back at stuff like that. And this is movie's a good example. Even on low budget movies, if you've got a good DP and you've got a good director, it's like you can make a lot out of out of a movie. Um, you just need somebody who who gets it and cares. Who knows how to do the yeah light things and just move a camera and yeah position it and yeah how I, edits are how they know what's going to happen in editing, so they know what they need to do and get and position things and like yeah. That was one of my, one thing that made me laugh though was on the bridge scenes. Um, there's a lot of camera shadows because they're really tight up close on uh, on Alan's character getting out of the car with with Anne Margaret, and uh, you almost feel like every second or two he's about to bump into the camera, like knock a camera guy over <laughs> or shooting it because because they shot it so tight. But uh, but no, I, I, again, I, I do think visually this is a pretty good movie. Um, I will say the score kind of let the movie down though. Okay. Yeah, nothing stood out to me on that, good or bad. Um, the scene where Alan's, uh, or not Alan, excuse me, where uh, Harry's going back to his shop right before he goes to the bridge and blows up Alan in his car, the score just goes to like 9,000. And it just seems like real kind of, 
it's really loud and just felt very goofy for the context of like what they're trying to set up. So um, I don't know. That was just something that's uh, well, I hope, you know, you just insulted the composer who did the music for under siege and <laughs> double team. Um, well, I hope he'll forgive me because those two movies are pretty high in my, in my regard. <laughs> he just called me. He does not forgive you. <laughs> and he's going to kill your family. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I hope that I, what's that guy's name? Gary Chang. Gary Chang. I'm sorry, Gary. I don't mean to break your heart. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I think, I think I'm going to guess he had a little more time doing the under siege sound, the, yeah, uh, not soundtrack, true. but, uh, music than he did for, than he did for this. Being, well, I mean, I, I think about like the, it's, it's the, it's the inverse of like Ricochet. I think we talked about that. That's an Alan Silvestri score, and it felt like that that score elevated that movie even in its weaker points. Here, I think it would. I would. I wish maybe had a, a stronger, a stronger score that might help underpin some of the some of the exposition scenes. I, I feel like that would have helped this a little bit. Maybe that's where we should spend another ten percent. Yeah, as, as, as I'll score. just go and give it a little more time to the yeah. score. Yeah, yeah, I could see that selling this movie a little better. Yes, yes. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, where would you, if you had to spend 10, 10% more of a, an unknown budgeted amount, where would you spend it? <laughs> Let's say you had an extra $200,000 to spend on this. Oh, man, that's tough. Cause not, I, it's a good movie. I'm not sure where, I mean, talking about the score, that sounds like not a bad place to start. Um, but and, they did they, they made some interesting choices with this too they did move it originally it was set in, in detroit and they moved it to la for budget reasons i actually think it is better in la la is a kind of a kind of yeah a, a, a more interesting more backdrop plausible for these cd characters and yeah, this, that yeah. these people would inter intersect yeah that yeah um it's. I mean, honestly, it almost you just want to take it and spread it around the movie, and that like that like uh, Frankenheimer, like just play with that a little bit. But Give I want something a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I want something like a little more fun than that. Um. Ah, uh, man, I don't. Do you have anything? Um, if I was going to spend 10% more, I think I would spend more and add a little bit of time to the movie. And I, I would, I would rearrange it to have Cine as the sort of ringleader of the whole thing. I don't think you'd have to change that much of the movie. You would probably need to add 10 or 15 minutes to the whole thing. And then you get yeah, some exposition. Sounds pretty plausible. Yeah. And I, I feel like the way they said, because I, you're right. I, I, to what you said, I did think they were going to bring her back. Like the whole way they shoot that death. Even though Leo tells you, I'm still thinking like, well, you don't really see it that they've disposed of the body and they've disposed of the camera. So I'm like, you really, you really could still play that card pretty late into the movie and and it not not be out of sync with the rest of the plot. So that's where I would spend it is bring back Kelly Preston, bring back Mrs. Travolta, and let's uh, <laughs> let's put her in here for for being the ultimate bad guy. I don't know. I'm tempted to say we go full De Palma. And just do a Frankie goes to Hollywood video <laughs> in the middle better. of it. That's the best answer. That's the best answer. Um, yeah, I I think you should do that. And well, and De Palma was notorious for that because he he hired real adult film stars or tried to. Yeah. I think right. 
Um, I don't know. I, but other thing, maybe I know the book. So instead of in the book, his wife was not um, on a like political campaign. Um, and she was more like a homemaker and they had kids together. And I'd be tempted to see what it would look like that route. That's kind of um, how I feel like they set this up is like they probably have kids, but they're adult kids that have moved out or something. Um, but I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous to uh, insert children into the story, given how <laughs> goddamn seedy like these fucking guys are. Yeah, I could see that getting getting pretty weird. Uh, that could get, that that might have some some uh, what do you call it? Cape Fear overtones to it. Yeah, with, uh, <laughs> with with messing with people's kids. Um, uh, no, I, I I like I like doing it. What? However, I like your idea with it, but. Just spending it on the Cine story, giving her more time. Yeah, fair. Whether it's just more backstory for her, or if it's making her the actual brains behind this and the bad guy, just just yeah, giving her a little more agency, a little something because her story is just and and not saying this doesn't happen to people. It's just not and not saying it's a flaw of the movie necessarily, but her story is super depressing where it's like these fucking dumbass city guys have like, exploited this vulnerable woman and just like take her and murder her and use her and it's like Jesus Christ like fucking dark when you start thinking about it no it, it is and I think again um, this is another of canon kind of shitting on women <laughs> just to be real <laughs> blunt um, it's maybe not as overt as, uh, and I'm not sure if that's just indicative of how filmmaking was in 1986. If that to just... a degree, yeah. But and why you see more talent and more um, different screenwriting presence of it with his wife, um, you know, being a political candidate and being uh, like she's not, she's not the girl from American Ninja, who's like, oh yeah, incompetent as a human being. Yeah. They do, yeah, they do go to some lengths to to set up her being, um, obviously intelligent and sort of independent of of Roy Scheider. But then it's it's weird, like they kind of go back and forth. Like they kind of want, they kind of want it both ways, right? Like they want to make her successful, and that that's a motivator for him to not to not let this get out. But then at the same time, she seems to just be like, okay, well, what can I do to help figure this out <laughs> at certain parts? It's just it's just wow. really strange. Yeah, I feel I feel they do a decent job with that of it's when it starts really unraveling that she's like like you need to like take care of this. And she and then and she's like, Okay, I guess if you're asking me to help do something, I will. But like it seems weird you're asking me to help. <laughs> um and then she just gets like fully abducted and pulled into it of uh, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, where would you put Carl? <laughs> Carl, our good friend, Carl Brothers. Ah, oh, man. I don't it's... really have a good answer for it. So there's maybe, maybe this isn't like a movie that he'd be good in. It'd be it'd be hard to put him into this one. It feels like because I wouldn't want to replace any of the bad guys because they need to be character actor types. Who yeah. can be just villainous um and seedy and this is not gonna be him. So other than making him like Roy Scheider, 
in this, but then he's too big and physical for this it's, role. Yeah, like, and like, like so he just he's, he's kind yeah. of a superhuman physique, and which probably wouldn't make a lot of sense in the context of how they're approaching this. <laughs> I guess make him his lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> The most badass guy in the movie is a fucking attorney. I yeah. like that. That that's it's, actually a good answer. I I don't have I make him sinny. I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer. Leo's boyfriend. <laughs> that would be interesting. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't have a good answer. I'll be honest. I, I, I'm gonna. I mean, you could make him the jungle of a role. You could make him Alan. It just. Yeah. You could, not, I, 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 but you're right. I, I, I like the guys that, that are there because, but yeah, I, John Glover's better casting in that role. Like, well, and to your point, there's a there's a better setup with the way John Glover's um, sort of playing into the yuppie sleazebag who doesn't want to get his hands dirty, but at the end, he is kind of the ultimate bad guy, and in, in, in double crosses, uh, yeah, shy. So I'm like, yeah, you. I don't think you kind of kind of quite get that. So. No, I think I I don't have a good answer. I'll just agree with you that um you make him the attorney and it's some weird obscure role where it's like, well, holy shit, is that Apollo Creed? And he just never comes back <laughs> on the screen again. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's my answer. So one other thing I wanted to, I hit a little bit of but with the explosions in this movie. Obviously there's the car at the end, but then it I I'd be really curious to hear what the story is. Um there's a random scene where and it's where Shire's talking to the lawyer, but they're out at like something oh, his company's yeah. doing, and they do something, and then they all end up in this little bunker, and there's this like massive explosion, and it's just like that feels like Cannon wanted an explosion in the movie. That's I I feel like it was it felt reverse engineered. Um, like yes, hey, how do you want to end the movie? We want to blow him up on a bridge. No, like well, uh, yeah, we, we need okay. an explosion at the end. Where like we do yeah. candy movies, we have explosions at the end. So like, how do we? <laughs> that, hey, that's our thing, guys. That's our thing. I'd be, I'd be curious to see how he does it in the book. That's what I was. That's what I was going to say. Did too. not find that out in the research. My research, but yeah, it does feel like it was reverse engineered to justify why like a sort of normal businessman would would understand how to like build explosives. And then, you know, it's part of his job yeah, to, uh, he he would have this on hand to do this. And But it's still it still feels weird. It feels weird that he was able to, like. Arm his car and like, like again, like in the course of an hour, like arm his car to be a, an explosive that locks people in. And, right. And, and <laughs> it's just bizarre. And I, I will say that was one thing. So when he sets the uh, the clock for for Alan, once Alan gets in the car. 10 seconds does feel like you're giving him too much time to figure out how to get to potentially have got it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, that's kind of dicey. Maybe three seconds. Like, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Just enough time to give him a quip and then, and then he's gone. So he can't do anything. I was like, that doesn't feel like a lot of time to or enough time to, uh, or you're giving him too much time to, to let him escape. But that would, that would potentially like kick a window out and dive out or something. Like, or like yeah. shoot through the window and hit Roy Scheider or his wife. Or yeah, it was like that. Probably yeah, because he has a now. gun and he like, yeah. tries to like shoot the lock and yeah, like, but yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> that was a that was a strange Harry Harry fucked that one up. So, well, uh, what so, would you rank? You this? got lucky. What would you rank this? Elmore Leonard, John Frankenheimer, nineteen eighty six classic. Uh, uh, I think I'd give it four out of five porno theaters. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it. I really uh, liked it. The porn theaters or the the movie. <laughs> Or both, a little bit. I will give it um, 
three out of five John Glover teeth. <laughs> okay. Um, I liked it too. Uh, there, there was some stuff with, again, with it. It felt like they sped up and slowed down um, Harry's intellect or, or thought process at times, which didn't always work for me. But, but generally, again, it's one of those weird canon ones. Like, it's crazy. The best ones I think we've watched so far, like in terms of just a good, traditionally good movie, are all the ones that have just absolutely failed. For them. It's so weird. That's that. Yes, that's what you're talking about. The box art. It's so bizarre, and you kind of see why maybe they didn't know what to do. Yeah, they tried to make a movie like this with Jack Frankenheimer, and they're like, "That's a good movie," and then it just flops. Yeah, and it's like, well, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, it's like, all right, I guess we'll try these like big IPs or big like genre stuff, and yeah, yeah. And so it's it's like this should have done better. This is like this is a solid good movie. I kind of feel but, bad for them. I'm like I know they're they're fucking but, characters, right? But I guess no ninjas. So, <laughs> well, I, I mean, you're. I think you're kind of right. Is like if you again, I was thinking about in the context of okay, what does their like 1984 to 1986 look like? And they're doing like a mix of Chuck Norris movies. They're doing Life Force. They're doing this. Be, Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Oh no, it's, they're just it's it's like they're doing this weird slew of stuff, and they didn't like Life Force is like the big budget sci-fi thing that they think is going to pay off, and it doesn't. But then they'll go do something like Firewalker, and it's honestly it's not it's it's a very sort of blase Chuck Norris movie, and then that'll do something like eleven million at the box office on probably like a two million dollar budget, and then you make this, which you know has a lot of should have a lot of credence behind behind it with the talent that they've attached both in acting and and directing it and it doesn't it probably doesn't make any money for them. it's just it is weird like they probably were just like what the fuck is the formula to make all this come together because now, so what i was wondering is it marketing though did they just not know how to market a movie like this it could and be. they knew how to market a chuck norris movie it could but be when they had this on their hands they just had no idea what how to get to that audience that would like actually almost, want to see this like it's almost once it gets past a certain level of goodness it's it's like it's yeah too- like our, our audience doesn't want this <laughs> like they want chuck norris ninjas and yeah i, I don't I, are, and and like we can't hit the mainstream audience that actually would be interested in this uh, yeah I, I i i feel bad for him it kind of sucks because i could see to your point, like it, when you when you look at the trajectory of them, you do start to see like, okay, this is probably why they went to like, all right, we're gonna make Superman four because people loved the Superman right. franchise. We, we're trying to hit. We want to get a hundred million dollar hit. We want a yeah. massive hit, and it, yeah, it's like well, we're just not happening. Even when we make a, something pretty good, and uh, yeah, so. um I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, so we're doing Missing in Action next week. Uh, I cannot wait to talk about the unintentional, well, probably intentionally and unintentionally funny long cameo that they have a Spider-Man cartoon playing in uh, Missing in Action. Because <laughs> it was around the same time that they got the rights from uh, from Marvel. I mean, that's kind of what's crazy if you think about it is Gold and Globus probably were like, early on the whole Marvel Universe game with trying to just yeah. crank <laughs> out movies if you, if you really want to give them that much credit. So, um, I don't know. So, 
how did you watch 52 pickup uh i watched it i think it was streaming with ads through roku tv i think that's how i watched it okay i watched it i believe on tubi streaming with ads (laughs) but uh, (laughs) um as it just like when the movie ended it like they kind of just start another movie oh really and I didn't stop it in time, and this movie started, and it was another Roy Scheider movie, and another kind of detective story movie. So, what was this called? movie called? Night Game. Ooh. And Roy Scheider's a detective, uh, and he's searching for a serial killer. And <laughs> but there, I don't want to spoil anything. Oh, you watched this? I was going to ask you about it because you had the fucking on my uh, letterbox. Uh, the letterbox thing. I saw it today, yeah. and I was like. What is this thing with a hook hand through a baseball? <laughs> yeah, like, gotta ask you about that. So uh, <laughs> it, it's hard not to spoil anything, but there's um, a tie-in to the Houston Astros baseball. Almost, <laughs> 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 uh, but it was pretty good. It was pretty good. So if you if you enjoyed, uh, what did you watch it on? Pickup. It's, it's on, on it's TV. On TV? Okay. TV, yeah. It just started next, and so I watched, and it, it was pretty good. It was like I was like, "Oh, I really enjoyed," it. and it was like the exact right movie to play after it because I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed that." I do another movie kind of like it. Roy Scheider playing a detective. Of <laughs> Let's do it, baby. I uh, the IMD IMDb trailer photo of with Scheider. Just looks like he's got this just shit-eating disappointment face in it. Oh yeah, there's a picture of a Houston Astro Astros catcher. So yeah, you're right. Um, uh, it's a sad. That's a sad part to me of of like looking at Shider's career because he's just such a good actor. I just hate seeing him in stuff like this. But I do want to watch this. I, I will probably try and go watch this tonight if I can. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you'd dig it. <laughs> I feel like good. we've we've also covered three baseball teams. How many major league baseball teams are there? Because we we've covered three of them in, in one podcast. Uh, there there are thirty. There are thirty. Okay, so we're ten percent of the way through yeah. the major league baseball. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of uh, what was uh, in the movie The Fan with uh, De Niro and, and Wesley Snipes. What what baseball team did Snipes play on? Do you know? I believe it's the Giants. The Giants. Okay. Um, oh, and we also while. covered we also covered the uh, oh with the, uh, the San Francisco Giants with yeah. blood sports. Okay, so we've we've covered greater than ten percent mm. of Major League Baseball. So that's Canada our goal. <laughs> Cover it. Maybe that's like a weird thing. Is like they're like, hey, we got to stitch American culture into this shit, otherwise they're not going to buy into this movie. <laughs> It feels like a real Golden Globus. Uh, it, oh, 100% of like baseball. That's the secret. It's American <laughs> culture. We figured it out. So, um, yeah, well, I'm pretty pumped. Now I'm going to go look for baseball references and missing an action. <laughs> I may go watch it again for the third time this month. Uh, Definitely do it. <laughs> I, I, I do enjoy that movie unironically because I watched it a lot as a kid. Um, I'm excited. It's been a while since I've seen it. I uh, well, let me tell you, Chuck Norris delivers some ass-kicking roundhouses. Nice, not just uh, for himself, but because or on behalf of America. God bless him. God bless him. It is. I will. I will say this. Uh, I'm skip ahead a little <laughs> bit. I don't want to make fun of it too much because apparently Chuck Norris did this role in dedication to his brother who died in Vietnam, and I'm like, oh yeah. god. <laughs> Yeah, that's a it's like oh buddy, come on. Different thing to take in then. <laughs> yeah, I was like I read that before I watched it. I'm like, well, that kind of tainted the whole movie for me. Yeah. <laughs> so all on right. the other hand, it's like 
Really? That's how you're honoring your brother? Yeah. I was like, I don't think that's yeah, that's I think I don't think I don't think that's how somebody wants to be remembered is uh, um doing getting roundhouse face kicked and uh with uh well, skin tight jeans. We'll find out next week. We will. And next week's very gaming Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.